the story, it's meant to surprise us. It's meant to sort of set us back and say, what in the, who, who is the serpent and what have they just done and what's going to happen as a result? Hey, hey, welcome to the Live Like It's True podcast, where we talk through some of the most astonishing stories in the Bible and how to live like those stories are true. I'm your host, Shannon Popkin, and my hope is that these conversations will inspire you to better know the story, share the story, and live the story. Have you ever had an intruder enter your home? Knowing that somebody else has entered your space immediately puts you on guard, doesn't it? Makes you feel violated? Well, that's exactly how we're supposed to feel when an intruding serpent shows up in the Garden of Eden. I feel so honored to have Courtney Doctor as our guest today. Courtney is an author, a Bible teacher, and a retreat speaker, and she serves as the coordinator for women's initiatives at the Gospel Coalition. Courtney's book, From Garden to Glory, a Bible study on the Bible's story, is part of our recommended resources all throughout this season. You can find that full list of books and podcast episodes in the extended show notes at shannonpopkin.com. Now, this episode is a little longer than usual, but it is so, so worth it. I hope you'll listen to every bit as Courtney helps us explore this story about the day that Adam and Eve sided with the intruder. I hope that this conversation will help you, as Courtney says, know where you are in the story and live like the story is true. Courtney, doctor, welcome to Live Like It's True. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. It's such a joy to get to know you. Um, and, uh, you know, I know probably many of our listeners have done some of your Bible studies, or I know our our church is going to be doing Romans in the fall. Um, just so grateful for the ways that you use your gifts for the sake of the, the church and the kingdom. Thank you. You too. Thank you. So we're going to talk about an intruder. You know, this is such an important text in our Bibles. And I love the way that you paint the scene where it's almost like the lights go dim and the music shifts and there is this intruder entering. Have you ever had an intruder in your house, Courtney? <laughs> Praise God. No. No. <laughs> I don't think so. If I have, I don't know that we have. Um, I think maybe we did have some stuff stolen out of our garage refrigerator oh. once. But yeah, yeah. but my cousin once had an intruder. Like they heard someone come in. They called the police. The police came and looked everywhere, could not find the intruder. But the dog, their dog, their little dog, Abby, was just barking. And she wouldn't stop barking as if someone was still in there, but the police couldn't find anybody. So they locked the door. The police, you know, police left. They locked the door. They all went to bed. And when they woke up the next morning, they came down and the door was unlocked. So apparently there had been an intruder inside who let themselves out. I mean, that story just makes my skin crawl, right? Right. Yes. (laughs) There's something about an intruder, somebody who should not be on the scene that just, it feels like an offense. It feels like Mm -hmm. an affront. And that's exactly what's going on in our story here. We have an intruder, like Hmm. we have, we start with Genesis one and two with the the celebration of God's good intentions. We have the creation story. It's almost like this dance, this party, the celebration. Mm -hmm. And then somebody shows up who is uninvited. 
Um, and that is our, our enemy, our adversary. So I would love for us to start just by you reading the story. We're going to read Genesis 3, 1 through 15 in the ESV translation. And then we'll go back and we'll kind of look at it section by section. Um, so could you read those verses to get us started, Courtney? Okay. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, the man, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he, this promised offspring, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Wow. So this is such a foundational story. This is the story that answers the question of what is wrong with our world? Like, why is everything so bent and broken? You know, why do we sin? Why do others sin? It all, it all starts here. Um, and what I love is Courtney, that we're not given, you know, when God's answering this question, like what's wrong with the world? Why are we all bent and broken. He doesn't give us a statement. You know, he doesn't give us a document, uh, a discourse. He gives us a story. Um, I think a story is helpful. Uh, you know, a lot of times on this podcast, we talk about how the Hebrew people uh, really elevated story and metaphor in a way that we don't, you know, mm-hmm. um, Western thinkers, we don't put as much emphasis on story, but this story has a lot of nuance. It doesn't give us all the answers, but it does give us, there's so much here for us to talk about. So as we look at this story, you know, I love how it begins. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field. Like that's such a storytelling way Mm -hmm. to open, open this up. But what, what's surprising here? What do we notice right in this opening part? That's surprising. Well, I think the entire story is meant to be surprising. It's a, it's, it's meant to like the absurdity of the whole thing is, is meant to astound us. And so you have, you have the absurdity of a talking serpent, 
Right. Um, and then as the dialogue begins and progresses, you you have the absurdity of the fact that that both the serpent and Eve are doubting God. They're twisting his words. They're mm-hmm. they're doubting his goodness. Um, and then you have the fact that that honestly, you have the fact that they didn't immediately die because yes. God had said in 217, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. If you eat of it on that day, you shall surely die. And so that's a little astounding. Like what was, what happened there? And then the serpent promises that your eyes will be opened and their eyes are opened. And so there's this, what's going on here and how is the story casting these things as, as harmful and, and evil, even from the beginning. And so I think then as we went through the story and God comes to them in the garden, you have the astounding astounding fact that God pursued them even after Mm. they disobeyed him. And so, so I think the whole thing is, it's meant to surprise us. It's meant to sort of set us back and say, what in the, who, who is the serpent and what have they just done and what's going to happen as a result? And so, um, there are just so many. The other thing is when the serpent promises them that they will be like God, right? He says their eyes will be opened and then their eyes were open. So you have, well, what's going on there? And then you have the fact that he promised them that they will be like God. But what had already happened in 127? They are like God. They right. were created in his image. The, the serpent is promising them something that they already have. Um, and he's making it sound like, like they don't. And so um, I think from the beginning, we see that the serpent is trying to say, hey, the good life, the good life is not mm. going to be found in following God and obeying his word. The good life is going to be found outside of God and outside of his word and outside of his provisions. And mm. so um, there are just so many things that are that are astounding about this text. We read it and we think, what was the big deal about eating some fruit? I mean, that was something that they did every day. It's something that we do every day. Why in the world was this so evil and so wrong and so Mm -hmm. disruptive? Um, And those, some of those questions, we don't really get answered until we work our way through the whole story, the rest of the story. Mm, Wow. Yes. So many questions that the story raises. And I love that you just explained that the the whole, the whole mentioning of there being a serpent, like, why is there even right. a serpent? And who, why is he talking? Yeah. Why is he talking? Um, but why is he not allegiant to God? Like, why is there such a thing? Um, and why is this garden not secured against such evil? Like why, you know, and we don't have the answers to that question, <laughs> but, um, you know, the problem of evil, we do not have an answer for the problem of evil, but it's surprising that there is this sinister rival intruder in the garden because we've just seen how good God is. Uh-huh. And I think even the fact that what you just said, like, it doesn't answer the question, well, why is there evil? And part of that, I think, gives us the framework to understand evil and to understand sin, it doesn't make sense. There's, there is Mm, no answer for it. It's, it's absurd. Right. And Mm. so we don't understand. And I think the story itself really just kind of proclaims that like, it's not meant to have an answer Mm. because it doesn't make any sense. So our, our best response is 
this is wrong and we should react differently than Adam and Eve. Like that's our best response to this right. story. Yeah. Right. Because it's absurd. It's absurd to listen. Now, I think it's interesting that he comes, the snake comes, you know, he doesn't just bite them. Like if he's their enemy, like, why doesn't he just come and bite them? Why, why does he prefer to engage them mm-hmm. with deception? Do you have any thoughts on that? That's such a great question. Such an interesting question. And I think part of it is going to be the the core issue is believing God's word and obeying mm-hmm. God's word, right? So if he had just bitten them and they died, they wouldn't have been culpable in that. That would have been something mm-hmm. done to them, but they are fully participatory in the story. And it is the root issue of where is life found? Is life found in obedience to God's word, knowing his word and doing his word. And so we see that they knew his word, right? Mm-hmm. Eve knew what God had said. Um, she she appropriates that to herself and um, and understands it, even though she twists it, she adds to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the two ways that we go, well, three ways we can go wrong with God's word, not knowing it. Mm-hmm. But after we know it, we either can add to it or take away from it. And so, so Eve adds to it here and then they just don't believe him. And so their culpability in it, I think is, is what, what the enemy was after. Um, it wasn't just their destruction, but it was the destruction of all mankind because they were culpable in it um, as we are. Right. So the serpent could have just gone after the image barriers to hurt God. He's really after God here. He's yes. Really after God. Yeah. yeah. That he's sees himself as the arch enemy of God. And so he could go after the image bearers, but to involve the image bearers in uh, this mutiny against God, like this is, is so much worse. But doesn't that also just show us the heart of our father? Because if, if the father didn't really love us, it wouldn't hurt the father that the Mm. enemy went after us. Isn't that Um, so? Yeah. I mean, it's, so it, precious. it's like if somebody wants to hurt me and they go after my kids, it's because I love my kids so much. So mm-hmm. it actually, even the fact that he goes after us yeah. reveals the heart of reveals God's love of our father and his love for us. Yeah. And if it didn't hurt us, well, then what does that say about our love for our kids? You know, like mm-hmm. right. there's just something I love the, the parent child relationship throughout the Bible and how it reveals who God is. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he designed all of our relationships so that we would understand who he is. But I, I, I want to go back to, um, you know, you talked about how Eve, she knew what God had said, but she added to it. Let me read that verse. He said to the woman, this is the serpent talking, uh, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. So look how she adds, you know, she overstates. I wonder if perhaps Adam might have overstated to her. We don't know. Maybe, you know, Adam was first given the instructions about the tree. Eve wasn't given them directly from God. And you could see him wanting to protect her and say, you know, don't, don't you dare even touch that. Like that is bad for you. That is harmful for you. And I, I think it's interesting that, you know, in the new Testament, we see the Pharisees doing the same thing. They take the prohibitions of God and they overstatement. They, they, you know, they take a, a law and I see us doing that as well, Courtney, like all the time. Um, yeah. Like don't the, do not commit adultery. And then mm-hmm. we layer on, okay, don't even, 
Don't hug a woman, you know, a man. Don't hug a woman. Don't be in a car with a woman. And then we look at each other like Pharisees, like, look at them. You know, he has entered a car with a woman. Well, that is not really what God, you know, that's not, that's an overstatement. And I understand the heart is to protect against, but there seems to be some sort of a danger in overstating, Mm -hmm. right? And, and getting past the heart of God, the heart of God is protecting here to offer a warning. You'll die. Mm-hmm. Don't eat this or you'll die. Right. And how does, how does the enemy though, twist that? He lies, basically blatantly lies. You won't surely die. And then he gives, he gives an explanation. You know, God says, if you eat it, you'll die. Mm-hmm. And the serpent is saying, no, you won't die. Well, mm-hmm. then our next question is, well, why would God say that then? And he offers an explanation. What does he, what does he say there in verse uh, nine? In verse nine. I'm sorry. It's not, it's too tiny for me to read. It's verse I five. It. I know, I just <laughs> my glasses on. Verse five. Verse five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because then when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, this thing that they already are. Um, and so, and their eyes being opened is that they will know good from evil right? Which then we see that they did know good from evil and it exposed their nakedness. And so it's, it's this experiential knowledge of, and I'm assuming like me, you've experienced this in your life, but there is a huge difference between hearing something is a sin and experiencing the sin and the ramifications that come from it, um, the shame and the remorse and the sorrow and the ripple effects and everything. And so to experientially know sin is so much more horrific than just the cognitive knowledge. This idea that they were going to know experientially good from evil. I mean, the fact that they did not know evil experientially, how beautiful, how beautiful. That's not anything that any of us can can understand or comprehend because we all experientially know it. In fact, I would even argue that in the same way that we experientially know evil in a way that they didn't, they experientially knew good in a way that we don't. Oh, that's um, and that we yeah. one day will, um, mm. which we which we look forward to that um, to that beautiful day. And so yes. yes, yeah. So this tree, I think it's interesting that the tree is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Because if I don't want my kids to have something, I don't make it accessible. Apparently this tree was right in the midst of the garden. And I don't, you know, if I were God, I I don't know if I would make the fruit beautiful. Maybe I would cover it with prickers or I would make it look unappealing. And this, this fruit, apparently the tree is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so apparently there's something about that, that knowledge that is only safe when it's kept from us, when it's kept in God's hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what is God trying to show with this tree even being accessible? And then why is the serpent going after that? Yeah, I would say that the, that his word, his commands were to be enough to be that guard, to be that fence in the same way, you know, when my kids were little, I read some parenting book and I thought it was great advice. I still think it's great advice. It was don't, don't childproof your house. Don't, don't pick everything up that they can't, you know, something super valuable. Sure. Put it away. But the other stuff, just teach them. That's not for you. Don't touch it. And, and I think in a lot, like my word should be enough. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that that's what the Lord was doing. Like, 
trust me. This is, it's good for you. I've given you everything you need in abundance, right? Mm-hmm. Part of what's in question here is God's kindness. His, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it was God stingy. You know, that's kind of what the serpent is casting a shadow of a doubt on. Was God stingy? And it's like, no, God was abundant. And he was loving and he was kind and he gave you all of these things and his word should be enough. And I mean, that is such a word for us today because yeah. there are certain things that he has simply prohibited that we might look at them and they look beautiful. They look good. They mm-hmm. look um you know, a delight to the eyes and um, good for food or good for us, you know, whatever it is. And, and his word alone should be enough for us to say, but I trust that even though it looks like it's going to be good for me, it's not going to be good for me. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have to make it look ugly. I think a lot of times what happens is it looks ugly on the flip side, on the, yes. on the other side of yes. experiencing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the front end, a lot of times it does look like a delight to the eyes. It does look yes. like it's going to be good for us. It does look like it's going to be, it's going to do something for me, make me wise or make me whatever it is. Um, and so his word should be sufficient. Like it, it should have been for Adam and Eve. Yes. And he's establishing, you know, he is God and they are not. Mm-hmm. If nothing was prohibited, how would they keep that? You know, how would they ensure that they were living and surrender to him? It's for our good. It's for our flourishing that we would continually recognize that he is God and we are not. Um, but Satan is, is twisting. No, this isn't good. Like you just said, you know, he's, he's questioning, he's calling question, you know, God knows like God, this is the explanation. This is why God told you not to eat it. God knows that if you eat it, you know, your eyes, you're going to see something that, Mm -hmm. that God doesn't want you to see. You're going to be something. You're going to be like God. He doesn't want you to be like this. You're going to know something that God doesn't want you to know. Like all these, like, look how Satan blows up the restriction. It's Mm -hmm. just a piece of fruit. They have all this fruit. It's just a piece of fruit, but he puts all the spotlights on this. And, and like you said, he is calling into question God's goodness. Mm -hmm. Um, That's really what's at stake here. And Eve takes the bait, doesn't she? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She, she takes the bait. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and mm-hmm. ate and gave some to her husband. So what, what do we see? That's just surprising here, Courtney, <laughs> that she did it, but you know, that, that whole, I mean, six B. So the second part of verse six, it is, it is the great conflict in the story, right? It's where it happened. It's half of a verse. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. I mean, that, that is the great treason, right? Mm -hmm. It's where Adam and Eve had a good father who had given them everything. They had a good King who was, Mm -hmm. who was protecting them and providing for them. And, and this is where they decide. I mean, the question here is, whose word will you obey? Mm -hmm. Whose word will you believe? Mm -hmm. Um, And they only had God's word until the serpent came in and spoke and he offered them a counter, right? Mm -hmm. And it sounded so close. It sounded so similar and it just was a twist, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is very instructive to us today. But this is where they said um, there was a decision, right? A decision was made and they chose to believe the lie 
over over the truth. They chose to they chose the sin over the obedience. And um, those are those are the dilemmas before us all the time. Do we mm-hmm. choose the the lie over the truth, or do we choose the sin over the obedience? And the ramifications are so similar for us. Um, and yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that answered your question, but just looking at the second half of that, I mean, we don't fully understand like why eating the fruit was so bad if we don't understand why obedience to God's word is so important. Right. Um, And then to read the rest of the story and to know how God fulfilled what he said in in 315, Mm -hmm. um, that's what really sheds light on the seriousness of it. When we understand that the events of, of 6b necessitated the cross. I mean, that's, that's what God sent his son, his one and only his beloved son to come and do what Adam and Eve didn't do to be the second mm-hmm. Adam yes, um, yes. and to believe his word mm-hmm. and to obey his word and to choose obedience over sin. I mean, it's in the garden again, the second garden where Jesus says, mm-hmm. um, not my will, but yours be done. Even though obedience was so much harder for him than it was for Adam and Eve. I mean, what was, mm. what was prohibited for Adam and Eve and versus the cup that was put before Christ. Yes. I mean, there's no comparison, right? Mm-mm. And um, and Jesus chose to believe um, that his father was good and worthy to be obeyed. And so mm. where Adam disobeyed, Christ obeyed yes. um, in, in the second garden. The great yeah. reversal. So Eve looked at a tree that looked very, very good in her eyes and decided... Mm-hmm. I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to make, I'm going to decide for myself. Jesus looked at a tree that looked very, very bad to him and said, I'm going to defer to God. You decide your will be done, not mine, but yours. And he surrendered. So Eve took control. Jesus surrendered to the father um, and did like, like you said, just exactly what that even Adam chose not to do. Um, And, you know, I think I see one more little surprising thing there. She gave some to her husband who was with her. That's surprising. I don't like, I don't expect Adam to be there right on the scene because he was given this huge command by God. Don't eat the tree. He was given this woman that he cherishes and he loves. Why is he silent in this story? Do you have any thoughts on that? Courtney, does that seem surprising to you? I think, I think we're supposed to be surprised by that, but I think that, Part of what's going on here is, you know, the fact that they were both there, they were both culpable in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, but Adam had been tasked to keep the garden and to guard mm-hmm. it, to protect it, to cultivate it. And so when we see that the second Adam came and, and did crush the head of the serpent, I think that we can go back to this text and say, Jesus did everything Adam was supposed to do and didn't, right? Mm, Yes. So what was Adam supposed to do here? Adam was supposed to crush the head of the serpent. Mm. That's that's what they should have done. That was his role was to, the minute the serpent spoke up, he should have crushed the head of the serpent. That was his job. That was what he was tasked with to guard and to keep the garden and to cultivate it. And so, you know, Eve never should have spoken to the serpent. Um, but Adam certainly should have, should have crushed the head of the serpent and, and done what we later see Jesus do. Um, Yes. I think it's interesting too, that the serpent approaches Eve when Mm -hmm. Adam was the one that God chose as the keeper of the garden. And so whatever order God puts in place, Mm -hmm. our enemy will try to 
disorder. It will try to right. undermine and, right. and, and change it. But let's talk just for a minute more about their eyes being opened. Mm-hmm. because like, that's what the serpent said. He said, uh-huh. you know, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. Mm-hmm. So they ate the fruit. And then it says that then the eyes of both were opened and did the serpent's promise come true? Did they become like God knowing good and evil? What do you think? Well, they were, they actually lost some of their ability to be like God, right? They were mm-hmm. created in a way that they could bear his image perfectly. That was not that they were God, but they bore his image perfectly. That's something that is marred in the fall. Like we lose that ability. That's something that when we are born again and we are found in Christ, we are united to Christ, then part of the process becomes our ability to bear the image rightly again, right? We're, we're being um, restored to the image of Christ. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. That is, that is our ability to bear his image appropriately and rightly again. And so we actually, this thing that, that the serpent promised you will be like God, they actually lost their ability to be like God. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that has to be restored in us as we are, as believers conformed day by day is what we call sanctification day by day conformed more to the image of Christ until that day that we will actually be able to see him with our real eyes um, without a veil and we will be able to behold his glory and then we will accurately bear his image again so that whole idea that you will be like God is actually something they lost Um, And so it's interesting that the serpent is promising them something that they already had. And I think that's so, and just in the same way, he was offering them the fruit, right? They already had, they had plenty. And so I think like that, we have to look at that in our own lives where not just do we covet, but where do we want something that God has already given us? And, And that can be everything from, you know, provision, or relationship, gifts, uh, callings, like there are so many things that the Lord has given. And and we say, well, I know he's given it, but I want it differently, or I want it more. Or, Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that like, we have to look at our own lives and say, where are we wanting this thing that, that God has already given? Um, and then the idea of knowing good and evil, and we've kind of already talked about that, right? That, Mm -hmm that was not something to be desired because mm-hmm. it wasn't cognitive knowledge. It was experiential knowledge. Mm. And I don't know about you, but my experiential knowledge of evil is not something mm. I rejoice in. It's not something no. I wish I had. Right. Um, and I long for the day when I will experientially know God's goodness the mm-hmm. way Adam and Eve did. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was not, that was not a good thing that, that happened. Uh, we see, I mean, that's the first thing, then the eyes of both of them were open and the first thing they knew, right? So he's going to, they're going to know good from evil. And the first thing they know is that they are, they are naked. Yeah. Immediately. They knew that they were lacking, that they were diminished. Yeah. They, they probably didn't understand it in the same way that we don't quite understand how they were naked, but now they see that they're naked. Like we don't really yeah. totally understand yeah. that, but they just knew that there was something different. They were now unlike God in that they had sinned. Yeah. God has never sinned. And so right. they were, right. they were unlike him and they were unfitting yeah. to be in his presence yeah. without covering it. And so what do they do? They do what we do. They, they tried to cover themselves. They tried to hide and neither of those things are possible. And yet a lot of us spend our whole lives trying to do both hide from God and then cover our own sin. 
atone for our own sin. And, and we can't do either, either one of those. Right. So, you know, we see this intruder lying to them, deceiving them. The whole world comes unhinged here. Mm -hmm. Truly all of the pain and the suffering and the brokenness that we have each experienced it all began with that first, that first bite. Mm -hmm. You know, I've often said, Courtney, like when they, when they were driven out of the garden, suppose they had some of that forbidden fruit still tucked in their hand or whatever. Would they say, well, do you want to eat the rest of it? Like, doesn't that just turn your stomach to think, oh, they can't imagine them wanting to ever, I'll bet that, that fruit that looked beautiful, that tasted sweet. The memory of it was just so sour and um, so ugly to them. And that's, that's experiencing sin. Yeah. If any, if any of our listeners, you know, you've bitten in to something that God has put out of bounds for you, maybe it's an affair. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe it's an abortion. Maybe it's Mm -hmm. even just the small things like overeating, you know, that's, that's the one for me. Like Eve's first sin was to eat something she shouldn't eat. And I still struggle (laughs) with that every single day. Right. Like, (laughs) Oh, don't, that's not, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, but we struggle with these Mm -hmm. limits, you know, and, and believing that God really is good in prohibiting Mm -hmm. this tree from them. And so, you know, the next part of the story, like you mentioned, what would make sense in the story is if they just died immediately, because that's what God said what happened. They did begin to die. Physically death entered Mm -hmm. into the world. They began to die, but God came looking for them in the garden, engaging them in conversation. You know, the serpent tried to engage them in conversation to deceive them. God tried to engage them in conversation to bring the truth to light and to begin the process of restoration. Mm And so then God, he speaks a curse. He he's speaking into motion, these consequences that he told them, this is what would happen. Mm -hmm. You'll die. And this is what death looks like. That's this curse. He's unfolding it. And he starts with the words for the snake. Um, So Courtney, could you read again, 14 through 15? And let's be thinking like, what is surprising about this? Okay. So the Lord God said to the serpent, and I would just say, let's let's, well, let's go back and pause um, with what you were just talking about that even verse eight, Genesis three, eight through revelation 22, that alone is astounding, right? Because it could have been what you just said. God made it, man broke at the end, like, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't, he, he comes to the man and woman, he calls them, he clothes them, he, he redeems them. And then he turns to the serpent, to the enemy of our souls. And he says to him, and I think right here, you know, you've talked about false narratives. And I think one of them is that um, God and Satan are these equally matched foes sitting, you know, in this eternal chess match and they are, they're reacting to each other's moves. Um, And we're wondering who's going to be more strategic and who's going to win. And that is simply not the case that has never been the case and verses verse 14 alone shows us that that they are in no way shape or form equals the serpent never speaks to god god speaks to the serpent Mm -hmm. and and he curses him Mm -hmm. and the first thing he says is because you have done this cursed are you above all livestock and all beasts well those are all created things god god remains the creator right Mm -hmm. he's like we are not 
equals in any way, shape, or form. You are with the livestock and the beast. And beyond that, you are now cursed more than any of them. And on your belly, you shall go. And I, you know, it tells us that one day every knee will bow um, before the Lord, our God, right? Every tongue will confess every, everyone. And so we know that in this life, every single person has the opportunity to willingly bow the knee. And that's salvation to willingly bow, humble yourself before the Lord and bow before his goodness. And and for those who don't, they will one day, their knees will bow, but it will not be in salvation. It will be in humiliation. It will be Mm. awful on that day for those who did not willingly. I mean, that's what, that's what the whole story tells us, but here, look what, look what the Lord does to the enemy. He doesn't even give him knees to bow, right? There is <laughs> no right. choice here. I mean, it's like no knees. <laughs> there, there is, he's like, I will so humble and humiliate you here. Like you are going to crawl on your belly and you are going to eat dust. They are not equals mm. in any way, shape right. or form. And mm. so here now for the rest of the story, the enemy's crawling around on his belly and he's trying to strike out at God and his people, but, but he cannot exalt himself. He is not God. And so God created, he's the creator of all things and he rules and reigns over even the evil one. And so verse 14 just really like proclaims that so beautifully. But then verse 15 is, I mean, it's the greatest hope. And so Mm -hmm. what God says here is just a shadow. It's just a glimpse, right? Like there's, Mm -hmm. it's not fleshed out, no pun intended. It's not, it's, we don't get a lot of detail here, but, but before I read it, I want to remind us that God knew exactly what he meant when he said this, he, he knew what this was going to look like to fulfill this promise in his son. And so he said, I will put enmity or war hatred between you and between the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he, and in the Hebrew, he is singular. He, this, this promised offspring, this one that is coming, this child, because that's what an offspring is, right? A child, this child, singular male human being, um, what's going to happen is he's going to bruise the head, which is a fatal blow, um, of the serpent. And he says, but you are going to bruise his heel, meaning he will be wounded. He will be hurt, but it will not be fatal. His, his wound to you will be fatal and yours to him will not be. And so what the Lord has just promised here, we, we see it play out. In fact, all of scripture honestly plays out in light of this promise. So from, from Genesis three fifteen on what we're supposed to be doing as faithful readers, uh, we're supposed to be saying is is this the promised offspring? Noah, are you the promised offspring? Are you going to be the one to crush the head of the serpent? Mm-hmm. Uh, Moses, are you, or Abraham, are you? Moses, mm-hmm. are you? David, are you? Are the prophets? And the answer is no, no, they're not him. No, that's not him. And so we're waiting for this offspring to show up, to, to arrive on the scene of the drama of redemption. And we live in the part of redemptive history where we know that he did show up on the scene and and he was sent and he was so much more than just an offspring of the woman, right? He was Mm -hmm. God's own son. Mm -hmm. And we know what 
had to happen for him to, to bruise the head of the serpent. And, and we know how the serpent bruised his heel. And so right here, Adam and Eve didn't know this. The original readers didn't know this, but what they could see is that God was promising victory. He was promising to defeat the one who had just defeated Adam and Eve. And I think one of the most important things we can see in this text is that we can so often think that God's final answer to our sin is consequence and curse and um, discipline, right? But what we see here is that consequences are there. Like that's part of um, the part of the story that we live in, but, but God's ultimate answer to sin is redemption. It's Mm. salvation. I mean, that's what God does with our sin. And so even in the midst of this curse, there's so much beauty um, that sheds light on who God is. That's what he does. That's who he is. That's what we're seeing unfold in this text. Like our great God Mm -hmm. is doing something that is so consistent to his character Mm -hmm. in the face of evil, in the face of this serpent. He doesn't even... I love that you said the serpent doesn't even get to talk to God. <laughs> he just, it's over for him. It's, it's already over. It's the, it's the, we're living in the now and the not yet, mm-hmm. but the story is still, it's unfolding. I just picture this little beacon of light that is, it gets bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and bigger as mm-hmm. the story unfolds, but we're just getting that first little glimpse of light in this mm-hmm. promise. So Courtney, how does this story then correct the false narratives of the world? Well, I think there are so many that it corrects. I think one of the narratives that's just um, really even growing in in prevalence and in in buy-in is this idea of truth being so arbitrary. Like, hey, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. And Mm -hmm. we're good. Like we don't, we don't, it's, it's not outside of us. It's in us. Right. Mm -hmm. And this text just screams, no, 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 no. Truth is not arbitrary. Truth resides in a person and his name is Yahweh. His name is God. And he's the one who has the right to define good and evil, not Mm -hmm. us. That's not, that's not a prerogative. It never was. It wasn't Adam and Eve's prerogative and it's not our prerogative. And so we see where the serpent tried to change the truth and Eve tried to twist the truth, but Mm -hmm. the results are disastrous. Um, they're not, they're not good. And mm-hmm. so I, I think that it pushes hard against that false narrative that, that truth is whatever you want it to be. And, you know, yours is yours and mine is mine. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's, this text screams that from the mountaintops. And mm-hmm. I think that the idea that obedience to God's word is optional mm-hmm. um, is, is also very, very clear in this text that it's not, you know, mm-hmm. the, the enemy is trying to say, Hey, the good life is found outside of God's commands. Mm-hmm. And, and we see, that it's not. And so you think about all of the commands that even when they don't, and to be perfectly honest, some of them don't make sense to us. Right. right? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you look at the world today and you think, um, you know, well, well, what's wrong with living together outside of marriage? Mm-hmm. I mean, what's, what's so bad about that? And, and so like this idea that any of those things, it's just what we believe about gender, what we believe about um, marriage, what we, I mean, those things like it's, some of what the world says is actually really appealing on this, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, well, that kind of feels good. So maybe, maybe that, loving. that can become my truth, right? Mm-hmm. But what we see in this text is that the good life is not ever found outside of God's good word. And so this idea that obedience is optional, 
it's it's just not. It's never been part of the story, even pre-fall. Mm-hmm. Obedience was required. And and trust that God's word was good, his ways are good. Yeah, we see so many people living according to a story that God is against us. He's not for yeah. us, that he just wants to keep good things from us. Right. You know, I don't want anything to do with God because nope. he would make my life miserable. Right. We're the ones who've made our lives miserable. Yeah. Um, and, and another false narrative that I see too in this text is I think you started with, um, you know, this idea of my truth and your truth, and there is no definitive truth, but, but also that we can see ourselves with our naked eye, the difference between good and evil. We can't, we're blinded. You know, the Bible talks about us. We are living in this present darkness where we look at what's good and we call it evil. We look at what's evil and call it good. Um, when I've, when I've taught on this passage, I've talked about how, um, yeah, Adam and Eve, their eyes were opened to something. It's sort, but it's sort of like looking at a solar eclipse. You know, if you and I, Courtney, were look at a solar eclipse with a naked eye, we would see something that we'd never seen before, mm-hmm. but we would become blind. Yeah. And that's what happened here. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they went from having one restriction to needing a whole bunch of laws to help them right. to see good from evil because they're blinded right. and you know, what looks good to them is not good for them. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it, it's a false narrative to think that we are good, that we can decide for ourselves that we're equipped to, to know right. good from evil, right. that um, we can do a better job than God, that we could be our own God. Right. Those are all. And so many in the world are living according to that false narrative, Mm -hmm. but how can we live like this story is true? Like, how can Mm -hmm. we do what Adam and Eve didn't, um, and choose the true story? Well, I think first of all, we do strive, right? That's part of the Christian life. We strive to do what Adam and Eve didn't do, which is believe and trust. But we also have to recognize that we do exactly what Adam and Eve did all the time. Mm -hmm. And so our hope is not in our ability to do it right. Thank you. Um, Our hope is in the fact that Jesus came and did it for us, that he, like you so beautifully pointed out, stood in a much harder place and looked at a much uglier tree and still chose obedience. And so our hope is that he did it right on our behalf. Mm -hmm. Um, And then by his grace, because we're united to him, because he enables us. I mean, as part of what's promised in Ezekiel that, you know, he's going to cause us to be able to walk in his ways, but he's going to cause us to be able to know his word. And it's going to be written on our hearts. And we're actually like going to be made able to able to not sin, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, Adam and Eve were able to sin. They didn't have to, but they were able to, we're born in a state where we're not able to not sin. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so in Christ, he makes us able to not sin. And so part of living like this story is true is understanding where we are in the story that, um, we are, we are not Adam and Eve. We're, we're in Christ, which Mm -hmm. he, he makes us able to not sin. And so obedience to God's word is not only necessary, it's actually possible in him. That's what Romans six is all about, right? Mm -hmm. Like we actually, God has made us new creatures. He, we have been born again to a living hope. We, we um, have been transferred out of this kingdom of darkness that's established right here. And we're transferred back into this kingdom of glorious light. And so we actually are able to not sin if you're in Christ. 
Um, mm-hmm. If you're not in Christ, then, then right. the, the, you know, the point of the story is, yeah, you're, you're not able to not sin. None of this is, um, is going to go well for you. But I think mm-hmm. the other way we need to live like it's true is what, what we see is that Adam and Eve really, like you said, doubted God's goodness. Um, They believed that God was stingy. They believed that God was withholding something good from them. And he wasn't. And we, as the reader, as a faithful reader, we see that we should be crying out. What? Like, look at everything he just gave you. He's giving you this beautiful garden and this meaningful work to do. And he's giving you this unbroken fellowship with each other. And most importantly with him, I mean, it's this beautiful thing of everything he's given them. And so so we should read this text and think, how could you doubt God's goodness? How could you think God is stingy? How could you think that God was withholding something from you? But we do that all the time. We think that, man, there's this thing I want really badly. I mean, maybe you're single and you want to be married. Maybe you don't have children and you really want children. Maybe you're in a hard marriage and you want an easier marriage. Maybe you have, you know, you, you, you want to have a different calling or a different job. I mean, there's so many things, you know, maybe you don't like your pair of tennis shoes and you want to do, I mean, like whatever it is, like yeah. we always want something yeah, better and different, mm-hmm. right? And we wonder why God has withheld that thing from us. And, you know, you mentioned that I just um, finished a study on the book of Romans. And one of the verses that I mean has just not let me go is Romans 8.32. And he says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And I just like that verse has just reshaped the way I'm thinking about everything. I mean, he has given us not only everything we need for life and godliness, he's given us his only son to Mm. save us. And if he's done that and I need something, of course, he's going to give me the lesser things, right? That's the argument from the greater to the lesser. If he's given you the most valuable thing, of course, he's going to give you these lesser Mm. things you need along the way. And so Mm. that cultivates like trust and gratitude in me to, to remember that. And like you said, to not do what Eve did and to doubt his goodness and to doubt um, his abundance for us. Like what he has for us is abundant, even in the hard places. And so Mm. I'm really working on that right now, like thanking him for some things in my life that are hard, that I would choose to have different. Mm -hmm. Um, But realizing he's given me his son, how would he not graciously give me Mm -hmm. all things if I needed them? Mm -hmm. And so this is his good, his good for me. Um, And Mm -hmm. so to believe that. So talk to the woman who is looking at some forbidden fruit in her life. Mm -hmm. And it looks so, so good. Mm-hmm. And God, it feels like God is restrictive. And yet she is in Christ. She has the power yeah. to right. look at that fruit because the way that Jesus did. And I just want to call attention to that, that surrender. Mm-hmm. It is not this breezy, like serene, you know, serene surrender. Those don't go together, you know, mm-hmm. like this, I surrender all, you know, no, it is yeah. like this gritty battle on your knees, like Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. That's a better look at surrender. But in Christ, this woman, she does have the power to overcome and to let God be God in her life. Speak to her with some words of encouragement. 
Oh, I love that. Um, because haven't we all been there where, I mean, the enemy is going to come to every single one of us and, and he is going to not just once, but over and over with different types of things, hold them out and present them as good. And that is, that is part of what he wants. And so how we battle that is so important. And I think I would encourage all of us to, we first have to know God's word, right? We have to know what he says yes. mm-hmm. um, so that we know what obedience looks like and we need to not add to it or take from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have to believe that if we are in Christ, he has given us a new heart and this new heart is actually able to obey his commands. Mm-hmm. Um, we will not ever do it perfectly in this life. Okay. But when every sin comes our way, when every temptation comes our way, we actually in Christ have the power. I mean, that's what Romans 6 says. Go read it. Romans 6 is telling us that we have already died to sin. It's not something that we're currently doing. So people will talk about the fact like we have been delivered from the penalty of sin, right? We will not, we will not surely die. I mean, Jesus takes that and he flips it on its head, right? Where where the enemy said, you will not surely die. Jesus takes it on himself. And he's Mm -hmm. like, now you will not surely die. Mm -hmm. So the penalty of sin has been removed. Um, The one day we will be delivered from the presence of sin, but we are delivered today from the power of sin. Mm -hmm. And so what I would advocate for is that we stop the practice of sin. That's where our responsibility comes in. So it's grace-driven effort. That's what Don Carson called it. This Mm grace-driven effort where apart from God's grace, we cannot fight. The temptation, we cannot overcome sin, but by his grace, we do that hard surrender work that you were talking yeah. about. And it is, it can be heart-wrenching. It can be um, incredibly painful to look at that thing that we so desperately desire. And we know in our hearts that it is not for us mm-hmm. and walk away from it. I mean, that is that is wrestling with God. And that is, that is praying for his strength and his grace to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I also want to say to the woman who knows those things to be true and yet didn't walk away. um, Oh, there is grace. There is mercy. Mm -hmm. That's what the Lord gave to Adam and Eve. He came to them. He called them by name Mm -hmm. and he clothed them. He covered them and he did it after they sinned. Um, it didn't go well for them. The ripple effects were still there. It was life altering, but oh, the grace of God was present in the moment of their greatest sin. And I just want to remind us that it's there for us too. Mm, Thank you so much, Courtney. I've experienced it in my own life. Me too. Looking at that forbidden fruit and doing that gritty battle of saying, God, you be God, you decide what's good for me. You decide what's bad for me in the power of Christ. I'm going to practice this power. Um, How did you put that? The grace-driven effort. The grace-driven effort. I love that. And I love that Galatians reminds us to to keep in step with the spirit, right? Because it's a step is just one it's a step. It's not a jump. It's not a leap. It's just Mm -hmm. a step. It's a moment by moment by moment choice. But when we're stepping, we're stepping in a direction. And so the more that we say, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. We're walking in a direction. And what's beautiful is we're becoming more like Jesus as we step by step, let God decide what's good. So Courtney, Mm -hmm. thank you so much for this conversation. Appreciate you so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the work you're doing and that you're, you allowed me to be a part of this conversation. It was a true privilege. Thanks for joining me for this true story of the beginning series. 
I hope you'll take some time alone with God and with your Bible open to Genesis 1 through 3. Drink in the true story for yourself, this true story that you're in. Let it reframe your story with the truth. To help you work through this narrative, I've put some tools together for you in my free Live Like It's True workbook. The workbook is particularly designed to help you work through the narratives or the stories in the Bible. It'll help you sort through how the true story of Genesis 1 through 3 refutes the false narratives in the world. You can find a link for your free workbook in the show notes, along with links to some of the various other resources we've been mentioning and recommending. Many of these resources are actually written by our guests in this season, including Nancy Guthrie, Mary Cassian, Courtney Doctor, and more. Are you enjoying this podcast? If so, would you be willing to rate and review? This helps us widen our reach and helps us to serve others as they're able to find the show. Also, if you have questions or ideas for me, I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much to my producer, Maria Lyons, and my son, Cade Popkin, for providing all of the music that you hear here on the show. And thanks most of all to you for tuning in. It is my joy and privilege to serve you. And now it's time to go live like it's true.